we had a contractual obligation to make another album, and so we thought we'd call it that and be honest. Welcome everybody to number 79 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which as has become increasingly traditional as the weeks have stretched <laughs> into, into years, years. <laughs> um, he is David and the introducer is Ben. <laughs> that is us, the Metabilis 2. And yes. um, this week, we excitingly, we come to uh, the end of our cliffhanger marathon mm-hmm. yep, um, we are in our contractual obligated uh <laughs> podcast of talking about stephen moffat cliffhangers here yeah guess the 1960s 70s tv british tv comedy show that we're also both fans of <clears throat> okay which yes this is our contractual obligation album and it is moffat cliffhangers um who mm-hmm. is going to start I can start if you Why like. do you not start? All and, right. Um, we'll see where we get to. And as usual, the rules are, we're, we're, yes. we're, it's five cliffhangers each. If there is a joint cliffhanger, a joint hanger, if you, if, if you will, <laughs> then we shout snap yep. and we discuss it together and then we forget where we've gotten to in terms of numbers <laughs> and the whole thing goes to hell in the handbasket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have done better. I have highlighted the ones I'm going to talk about. So hopefully okay, I'll nice be able one. to stay on track here. All right, all right. I have I've written very scribbly notes on each, so I, hope, I, I obviously haven't watched any of these. But I mean, I have watched them when they first came out, but I'm remembering a lot of them from from memory. Oh, okay. So hopefully, um, hopefully they will that will turn out right. So, uh, David, I think you're going first. Your first moth hanger is. Yes, I'm going to go for Moffat's first season as showrunner, and this mm-hmm. is the end of Time of Angels. And that is a big fat snap from me. Okay, so... Here we go. Would you like me to set the stage? Please do. All right. Uh, Set the stage. So we have the the doctor, Amy, River, and the clergy in this cave system with the weeping angels all surrounding them. And they're kind of decayed weeping angels. And uh, the doctor's having this conversation with Angel Bob, who was one of the clergy, but he was killed. And so... They're having this conversation, and Angel Bob goes, but you're trapped, sir. You're about to die. And the doctor says, yeah, I'm trapped. And you know what? Speaking of traps, this trap has a great big mistake, a great big whopping mistake. And then they banter a little bit more, and Angel Bob goes, you mentioned a mistake. What is this mistake? The doctor goes, didn't anyone tell you the one thing you never, ever put in a trap if you're smart? If you value your existence, you never, ever put this one thing in a trap. And Angel Bob goes, what would that be, sir? And the doctor says, me. He fires off a gun up into the air. There's a big explosion, and we go right into credits. And that was a really great Matt Smith moment. So it kind of sold him as a doctor for me. And it really sets up, oh, what 
you know, it, it's a heroic moment for the doctor. He's full of bravado, full of confidence. Full of beans, but, yeah. But, but, you, <laughs> but you have no idea what he's about to do. No. And it's very... It's a flag un- gun or something, isn't it? He shoots... And no, it's a, it's a normal gun, it's but normal he shoots gun. up okay. at this glowing orb. And, uh, and then we get this big explosion. So this the whole atmosphere in that whole time of angels. Even, even the beginning opening cliffhanger with River... Walking in her high heels, burning the uh, "Hello, sweetie" into the uh, flight recorder the, yeah. at the beginning—that was very good. I mean, it just this whole "Time of Angels" episode really sets, I think, a good platform, a good dynamic for the Doctor, Amy, River. Yeah. Um, more of this, please, Stephen Moffat. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't think we got much more of this, but this was a really strong episode. It was, and. And as far as I remember, this was the first Matt Smith to be recorded, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he really, you know, to use a cliche, he nailed it right off the gate. I was just about to say he nailed it, yeah. yeah. Yep. The direction was excellent. I'm not going to remember who directed it. But what I am going to remember is that again... Adam that... Smith. <laughs> Adam Smith. <laughs> That's why you Lord. can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Smith from the famous... Yes. Um, economist and philosopher. Yes, yes, yes. From, be- from beyond the grave. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> um, what I do remember is, though, is, I, is as far as I remember that the uh, the kind of pre-credit sequence where River is, is doing her thing um, includes uh, Mike Skinner. A new day, another morning after. Leaning back on my chair in a greasy spoon cafeteria. Uh, of course, all modern grime and rap fans will know him as The Streets. Um, big fan of The Streets, and it's got Mike Skinner in it, because apparently Mike Skinner was a, was, a, was a friend of the director, who apparently is called Adam Smith. Um, so that makes it all... In fact, that whole... Ed, this Actually, this, um, this episode, I really felt like, wow, this is going to be great. This is going to be really, 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 really good. And, you know... It, turned out okay but maybe it wasn't quite as good as i thought it was going to be um this again i thought this is just to use some you know to use some comparisons we've used before this was very much i felt moffat doing aliens as compared to his original blink which was alien so you know this mm. is like here come the troops right. um we're gonna stomp around and fire guns and like mm-hmm. here are the and they're all all the, all, the, all the angels are gathered in a cave mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it's just super all the way through actually I mean the, the the whole bishop whatever they are thing is a little I mean they could have gone a bit harder with that I think with the costume mm-hmm. design or done something that made them more obviously you know Church of England or Roman Catholic whatever the hell they're supposed to be but you know it's mm-hmm. a nice touch I would have liked to see them mm-hmm. more throughout the Moffat years, to be honest yeah. with you. Well, I think, you know, obviously during this podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the failings of Moffat. I think one of the failings is that he does have some really great ideas, but tends to kind of forget about them until he needs them again. And then mm. he just throws them back in again. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it would be great. It'd be great to have had this militarized clergy kind of turning up it very much and this is going to be a reference that probably isn't going to make sense to anybody who's listening to this but it very much reminds me of the terminators in one of my favorite british comic strips which is called nemesis the warlock written by pat mills illustrated by kevin o'neill and brian talbot 
amongst others. Um, but is it has a kind of a militarized um, from from again my favorite English comic book two thousand AD has this militarized uh, kind of clergy in it who are right. known as the, the Terminators from the city of Termites, kind of the mm-hmm. underground city. So I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's one of the influences that that Moffat is is kind of mixing in there. Do you think he was having more like uh, also like medieval history of the Templars or something like that? Yeah, well, again, this this comic strip is very much based on medieval history, which is why mm, okay. I liked it so much. That the kind of chief villain in that comic strip is a kind of mad inquisitor called Thomas de Torquemada. Of course, Thomas de Torquemada was a real person who ran the Spanish Inquisition in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. Which no one expected. Inquisition. No one. Oh, wow, we're really weaving in the Python <laughs> stuff today. This is great. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> oh my goodness, comfy chair and all that. Um, so, um, um, uh, yeah. So, I, 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 he's he's definitely. I think he's definitely taking take his influences there. And I think you know that's what all great you know genre mm-hmm. uh, material does is it takes its influences from all over we're not really talking about the cliffhanger but it is it's a great great cliffhanger and this is a great two-parter well what makes it a good cliffhanger is the whole story is building to that point where yeah. earlier in that episode amy is somewhat petrified or starting to turn to stone because the angels are getting at her i think what some fans didn't like about uh time of angels was it changes the weeping angels it, instead of making them into this time locked where they, right. they stare at each other they're deadlocked into more of a predator right. they're massing there it's like an angel wolf pack they're all right. in there for the kill and i like the weeping angels better like that than this paradoxical if they look at each other then they're they're deadlocked and, and yeah which yeah. we had in blink and blink was a very very clever uh, puzzle box type of an episode. A very high concept. Very, very high concept. You can't really take them any further. Exactly. Right. And this, I think, puts the angels as a true Doctor Who monster rather than a one-off. And yeah, yeah something had to be sacrificed a little bit. And one of the things that was sacrificed was that, that whole they look at each other deadlock bit. They're creepy as heck in this story. And it really, I think, I think there's really good chemistry between all the main characters mm-hmm. and the guest cast. It's yeah. and it all builds into this climactic moment where the doctor is asking Amy, "Do you trust me?" asks River, "Do you trust me?" Yeah. This whole thing and then he fires off the gun and the gravity globe explodes and we yeah. don't know what's going to happen next and it's a very clever resolution. Mm-hmm. And this is I think one of the strongest things Moffat wrote in this first first series and it's, I think, classic great Doctor Who without a lot of the timey wimey goofy yeah. uh, twists and turns that I think Moffat uses to say, "Look how clever I am." But when you do it repeatedly, it seems less clever, and it seems more like this is my one trick. This is my this is the right. magic trick I know. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, the, where all the angels are is like really kind of creepy and decayed, and mm-hmm. you know, it is. It is very. So it is very much alien versus aliens, and of course, what right. aliens? Yeah. What you know? A, what aliens sacrificed it? So in aliens, the aliens are like they're not. They're not this kind of single scary monster anymore. They're like this kind of pack of feeding 
ants or something and that's mm-hmm. you know that's a loss from the first movie but you know it ends up being completely awesome and this is exactly what this is as well um ian glenn is the guy i couldn't remember who's also in game of thrones uh plays bishop octavian i'm reading here who is the because uh, the head the head the head bishop or of course dressed in completely accurate british army fatigues mm-hmm. so yeah the 11th hour i'd enjoyed because it's a new doctor gets introduced and you have to enjoy that right um uh, you know i've been really kind of suspicious of the beast below it really didn't really mm. work hugely for me victory of the dalek started out awesome <laughs> and ended great concept <laughs> high 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 concept and just ended up being like what earth is going on now so I was mm-hmm. I was worried, not worried, but I was like, ah, oh, is this really going to work for me? Time of Angels right. and Flesh and Stone just kind of okay. This is good. this this is going to work. I'm going to enjoy mm-hmm. this. So yeah, yeah. So cool. was that your first one? That was my first one. Yeah. So I shall press on to my number two then. I press guess. on, press on to your number two. I'm going to go all the way to the penultimate episode, the end of the Pandorica opens. Ah, good one. Yes. This is where everything is going wrong for. The Doctor, Amy, River, and Rory. Rory has been turned into an Auton after winding up in the crack. Right. And he comes back as a Roman Auton. And oh, he yeah. and mm-hmm. he and Amy are reunited and Rory's hand is flipped open into the Auton gun and he's telling Amy to get out because he can't control his Autonness. And so that that is coming up to a, a peak. Meanwhile, River is trapped into the TARDIS. The TARDIS is exploding, and the Doctor is in the underhands right in front of the Pandorica, where the wardrobe and the costume department has brought in all the all the uh, new all the who, costumes that they have at that particular right, point. All the new Who Doctor foes, even if they don't make any sense, like the Silurians <laughs> in, in that case, or the Jadoon, which didn't seem to make really fit within that. Not really. So we have the new Paradigm Daleks. We have the boo. the yeah, Boo is right. The Cybermen. The Judoon, Santarans, Silurians, we get a reference to the Draven, which would have been so, I, I think it would have just been so easy to have just um, some women in blonde beehive wigs. That, with dots that, on their faces and right. dresses. Yeah, it that would have been, missed, yeah, anyway, whatever. Missed opportunity there. Missed but, opportunity, yeah. I mean, since, you know, since, since especially, you know, they just they just did the Movellians for like, a second right right well yeah. what, what in what uh, series 10 so uh-huh, yeah, so yeah. it it's definitely within their uh <laughs> realm of possibility that they yeah. can dress up humans to look like classic doctor who monsters but any anyway so the the santarans beam in and uh, we got general stark going the pandorica's ready and the doctor goes ready for what the Daleks go for you, and then the <laughs> that's, Autons. That's exactly the way they say it. Yes. <laughs> um, so the Autons, the Roman Autons, start dragging the Doctor towards the Pandorica, and the Doctor's, you know, sort of like what Tennant would do. Ooh, look at you all working together, and right, and then right. he's kind of going, "Well, Can't how is that even possible? You guys are from different time and space, and it's all about the universe collapsing in, which is the whole." theme of the cracks in the skin in the universe and the universe collapsing basically uh moffat is spending the entire series five trying to retcon everything that <laughs> rtd did and then so the doctor is manhandled into the pandorica the tardis explodes rory shoots amy and then we uh, zoom out and we see the earth surrounded by stars going supernova then it goes black the pandorica shuts in 
there's our cliffhanger. So it's this bigger, bigger than bigger epic moment than what RTD had done for this first four series in the, um, the gap year specials. The entire fabric of time is being extinguished. Yep, we yep. got a lot of debt to pay here. With a lot of things to explain at some point later on. And I don't feel they've ever really been explained very well. No. So no. Other, than, other than the reset. But the cliffhanger. It's and cliffhanger. How we got there is great. Yeah. And, and they're, they're, they're at Stonehenge. And like, Which is a great. I mean, great location. Yeah. It's, it's excellent. The whole thing is... Is lovely. Um, well, no, I won't say what. Well, the anachronism is there's rhododendrons that Stonehenge, and of course, rhododendrons are not native plants to the UK. Which is also the the whole universe and time that streams is, that collapsing. Is that, that, that they, is true. you know, true. which works. And the whole pre-credit sequence, I just thought this was so clever with Van Gogh they in the cabinet war rooms and River in the storm cage and Liz Ten and Rivers um, thing and Dorium and. Hello, sweetie, carved into a wall because Matt Smith's doctor wouldn't return uh, River's voicemail. And then finally having River as Cleopatra there was, I just, just the whole buildup I thought was really very good, very very creative, very, very exciting. It had a season finale episode ending feel to it. This is Moffat's fairy tale storybook type writing here in this uh, series five yep yep absolutely yeah it's good no arguing but it's a it's a cliffhanger it makes you want to watch what happens next right. and that is you know as we've talked about when we talk about hinge cliffhangers that's the skill of the cliffhanger it's like okay tune in next week see what happens yep definitely tuned in for the big yep. bang yep exactly mm-hmm. um i will i will now then move on to my um number, number two, two. <laughs> i know what i mean squad um <laughs> Uh, keeping the <laughs> you know what I mean keep, you know what I mean know what I mean hey 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 nods as good as a wink to a blind bat so we, we, you know, we're trying to turn this into a python yeah. cast I think is what we're trying to do uh, yeah, um, that's, which, that's, and I could have done that when you said Big Bang as well but then I decided mm-hmm, not to mm-hmm. right. this is the uh, double entendre series of, from Moffat and it's probably fallout from his years writing coupling writing coupling exactly know what I mean um, <laughs> nudge, nudge nudge wink wink, wink. wink. Um, um, which, which is the, uh, which is the, the actual cliffhanger between episode one, I suppose. Um, well, between the ending of the rebel flesh, um, which then leads us into the almost people. Mm, I think that the whole ganger, uh, again, the whole ganger thing is kind of weird because I was totally expecting, um, there's to be a payoff later down the line for gangers and the mm-hmm. way that you could make people who look like other people that are exactly the same. Of course, that a didn't A bigger ha- payoff, perhaps. A bigger payoff than there really was. Um, mm-hmm. And I, again, it was kind of confusing to me that, you know, that the uh, the Tesselector was created when they already had an in-universe right. in replicating machine of some kind. Um, the Also, with the Rebel Flesh and mm-hmm. Almost People, is it takes place in a weird castle, um, right. which is like an odd place, really. To have some kind of oil refinery, whatever the hell it is. Um, mm-hmm. Again, one can only imagine that the uh, 
the budget didn't didn't run to actually doing a CGI oil refinery, so they just made deal with a CGI um, castle instead. It's kind of like with uh, earlier with the Silurian two part of the pr- previous series, where it's yeah. kind of a lightweight drill site. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Anyway, but the cliffhanger is is you know our, our heroes are barricaded into a room. They're being attacked by these you know by these gangers, which are these mm-hmm. kind of sludgy half formed. They're kind of like autons. I mean, they basically they are autons. So yeah, again, kind it's of. like, why didn't you just make them autons? Um, right. Yeah, wouldn't that be great to have a have an episode where you know humans or by mistake like discover a planet who's living plastic, know, living plastic, and then mining it, and out comes the plastic, and then I don't know, it mm-hmm. kind of writes itself. But whatever. So they're being besieged by autons. They're trapped inside. The doctor's in there. Um, they don't know where. Uh, and then uh, the ganger doctor turns up and right. and says, "Trust me." I'm the Doctor, and he has a creepy ganger face, which is kind of like a creepy Auton face. Mm-hmm. And that's just a really great cliffhanger. You know, it's, right. it's, you know it's, uh, having a double is great. And again, we have doubles um, going through. You know, there's Doppelgangers. A double, there's, there's a, there's a, we, have, we have double, double, double gangers, <laughs> because uh, obviously we have the Tesselector, which kind of doubles people. Um, and then, of course, there's a, uh, 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 there's a, there, there are two doctors in that one with the Cybermen that um, mm-hmm. uh, Neil Gaiman wrote, where one of the where they have to play chess together. Right. But yeah, it's 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 a nice cliffhanger. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have our hero, who's also a monster now, right. says a thing, and okay, what happens next week? Yeah, it's pretty good, and it does sets up that Amy is goop, right? Basically, right. or yeah. this this living living yeah. flesh, yeah. and. You know, I think we talked about this earlier, but it just seems kind of wasteful that we have both the Tesselecta and the living flesh, the goop. Yeah, yeah, just have one. Mm-hmm. And I have to I have to say, the living goop is better than the yeah. Tesselecta. Um, the Tesselecta is just too much technology. Um, it also yeah. There was also I you probably I don't know you probably had a similar comic strip in in the in the United States, but there was a. Um, Oh, I can't remember its name now, but in one of the one of the kind of kids' humor comics, and again, I know this is where Moffat got it. One of the kids' humor comics in the sixties and seventies, there was a strip where it was like a kid, only like he, and it's all the little people who live inside him and kind of work him basically, and that's basically mm-hmm. what the Tesselector is, um, mm-hmm. which is it is kind of an obvious trick, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, Pixar did a movie about that thing too. <laughs> oh, they did that as well. Yes, yep, yep. You yep. know, it's it's a kind of obvious one. Uh, and I think it would have been. I I would have preferred to see just the ganger, the ganger goo come mm-hmm. back, in some way. Did you particularly like this episode? Was this a, one of your favorites from the series? I did. I, I liked it because actually, mysteriously, at the time, it did feel like it was separate from mm-hmm. all the other episodes in that particular season, which is season six, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep, a uh, series yeah, six, series six, and it didn't seem to have a lot of connection to all of the malarkey that was going on. In general, mm-hmm. um, it was a two-parter. I like two-parters. Um, right. So I think it gives because you more, get a true cliffhanger. Then you get an actual cliffhanger. Um, I and I like I like the goo as well. What I I didn't like the we're mining for gas in a medieval castle because <laughs> um, as is obviously become obvious right. over time i know a little bit about medieval castles and like why would you have a gas plant inside an old castle mm-hmm. because there are plenty of old castles in wales which is where the show is shot so mm-hmm. that obviously that's a good place to shoot the show good so. location footage good yeah. location of show yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. all right well i'm going to go with some of the goofiness in series six and go for the story right before the rebel flesh with the doctor's wife with the pre pre-credit mm-hmm. sequence as a cliffhanger and i know 
I know The Doctor's Wife isn't one of your favorite stories, but I think it has an interesting concept and it's engaging the way it hooks you into this Neil Gaiman world with the right. knock on the knock on the TARDIS door in deep space. Yes, and, it's nice. Yep, yeah, okay. And we get the cube back from the Troughton, the War Games where he sends off a message. And the writing, I think, is very crisp and engaging at this point. And it's, it's obviously a combination of Gaiman and, and Moffat working right. together. And Matt Smith delivers it beautifully. You know, it's, uh, he opens up the door and says, oh, come here, come here, you scrumptious little beauty. And he's just stunned that he's, I've got mail. And then he goes into, you know, his frantic... Uh, it's Time Lord messaging system, in case of emergency, psychic containers, time and space. Anyway, there's a living Time Lord out there somewhere, one of the good ones. And then the whole bit about the Corsair and how he always had the same tattoo. And, and even when she was a woman, and boy, was she a bad girl. And how he's laughing at that. <laughs> and, and then we cut into the pocket universe where we're in this graveyard of ships and I imagine other TARDIS or other time uh, capsules. And we see Idris being led in by the Ood and uncle and auntie to have her presence drained to receive the soul with very Gaiman of, of the TARDIS. And yeah. She kind of wheezes and groans like the TARDIS goes. Her right. hands have regeneration energy tingle off it. Meanwhile, inside the actual TARDIS, the, the energy's draining, and the doctor says the soul of the TARDIS has just vanished. And it's it's the more spiritual aspect of the TARDIS being uh rather than the alchemical machine type TARDIS but right. I think that that cliffhanger there was so much expectation with Neil Gaiman writing for the show yeah, and yeah. it's a very Neil Gaiman piece with that the whole auntie uncle nephew and Idris whimsy whimsy yeah. but I think it works pretty well for a pre-credit sequence and I think the story was successful enough uh, that that he came back, uh, Gaiman came back to write for the next series. But I think it's a it's a it's a pretty good cliffhanger, and it's a self-contained story. You know that could have been dropped in almost anywhere. Yeah, um, I, I I I agree. It's as, as as I think everyone knows by now. I'm not a big fan of Neil Gaiman, surprisingly, because mm-hmm. I'm supposed <laughs> to be a fan of Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his writing is fine. I just the whole whimsy that he likes to trade in is is kind of grates on me a little bit. And you know, right. the kind of aunt uncle malarkey, and right, right, you know, right. people dressed in kind of old dresses and kind of you know, um, uh, uh, old fashioned soldiers' clothes and stuff is is mm-hmm. is, t- is total gamer stuff. But as I think, as you pointed out, you know, the the kind of uh, the touchstone for the real Doctor Who fan is knowing about Troughton. Um, mm-hmm. And to have a callback to the box from the War Games is, you know, oh yes, this is this is a classy episode. Anything that mm-hmm. calls back to, to anything from the Troughton year, <laughs> years is, is like marks it out as being as being a class act, and and it does a good job. You know, it's 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 it made me curious, yeah, to find out what was going to happen. You kept is, watching. You, you kept watching exactly. And, I mean, especially with your uh, wariness of Gaiman. I mean, he could have alienated and turned you off as a viewer, and he said, ah, "I'm just not even going to pay attention in that in the, in the first yeah. in that first three minutes." So yeah, exactly. So it, it yeah. did it did well enough to watch. It, it wasn't until further in the episode did it really start to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Hmm. Good. 
So um, my third one is is a pre-credit sequence, and it is the pre-credit sequence for the wedding of River Song. Oh wow! Okay, really. <laughs> Which is one of my least favorite episodes, mainly because I really don't know what the hell's going on um, throughout <laughs> basically the entire episode. Right. I don't think anyone knows what's going on really, and, and mm-hmm. I've really only watched this maybe twice. Mm-hmm. I certainly really didn't understand it the first time round, and then I mm-hmm. forced myself to watch it again. I really didn't understand it the second time round. However, 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 however. That being said, mm-hmm. when I wanted to try and you know examine something that I didn't really care for that much, I really like the opening where the Doctor is, um, uh, I think, walking through Hyde Park uh, or maybe yeah, I think it's Hyde Park, and just everything is just crazy. Um, right. Uh, Wars of the Roses. There's pterodactyls swooping mm-hmm. around. Charles Dickens is on television. Right. Um, Winston Churchill has become a Roman Empire, a Roman Emperor of some kind. <laughs> um, there's Cleopatra around. Mm-hmm. There's Silurians hanging about. It's the whole thing. It's just. It just reminds me of you know. Again, and I'm sure this is where Moffat is taking from. You know, I used to. Again, and I still do. I very much enjoy the the Jerry Cornelius books of uh, Michael Moorcock, which is you know this kind of Times champion, mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of multiverse figure, where you know from time to time, you know Cornelius will happen upon a world where basically it just everything happens at once, mm-hmm. and it's just a it's just a really it's just a really fun thing to do. I would love it if they just had. The strength to actually pursue a world where everything happens at once and everything is in temporal chaos and really worked with that a little bit more rather than trying to fashion that chaotic world into something that actually in the end didn't make a lot more sense than you know Mm -hmm. than a a chaotic world i just think it was really fun to have the effects team and the costume team and you're all the people who come together to make Doctor Who a cool mm-hmm. thing to have happen, just did something that was just like, and here's all this stuff. Right. So. It seemed like a retread of the ideas in Series 5, I thought, a little bit, with like the world or the universe collapsing in and on itself right, again. Right, right. And you you kind of just referenced that. But yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The visual uh, memory that I have of that is the steam trains running into pyramids. Right. Um, elevated lines. I thought that the visuals, all that stuff going on at the same time. And I think this is the episode also where the doctor became uh, the, the soothsayer. Right. Uh, there's right. a lot of nifty things in there, but it served like how we're kids would cross genres and yes. they would have like their Doctor Who yeah. figures or Star Wars figures or Playmobil animals uh, and Legos and they all would be you'd jumble them all up into a box and you would tell a story and it would make sense to you as a kid telling the story but as an adult or anyone else watching it you'd just be going what are you thinking it just doesn't make any cohesive sense other than to the person or the kids playing <laughs> Which, and which that's I what think it seemed would, like it is. Which I think would, you know, I think actually in some ways what you're, I'm sure what you're saying there is, a, you know, in some ways a criticism of, of Moffat. I think what it would have been amazing if they'd actually gone with that and done. Like this is mm-hmm. all my action figures in one box and we're all right. having a big, a big crazy story that only me as a kid would understand. You know, you could have introduced the land of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there could have been a whole bunch more interesting things that you could have done with all of that than trying to use it to resolve a sort of unresolvable cliffhanger that you've set up at the beginning of the season, which is about the relationship between the Doctor and River Song, which mm-hmm. is, again, something that you've 
you you started a very long time ago and have piled upon mystery upon mystery about that relationship and now right. you have actually have to sit down and understand and help us understand what that mystery mm-hmm. is and you kind of do and you kind of don't do you think the mystery needed to be solved do you think we needed to no, know the details not really i think it would have been a lot stronger if we'd always hinted and got very strong suggestions of who river song was in the doctor's existence but the more we learned about it the less mysterious it seemed and less interesting and more mundane it became and a, a, a river at the beginning like with in silence in the library or yeah. time and angels she was much more interesting and mysterious and feisty than at the wedding of river song i like river as a character i don't like knowing a, a lot about the mystery i guess yeah no i, I absolutely agree i think there was a it's a weird combination of setting up mysteries and then having to explain them when actually when actually what you should realize, I think, as a writer that, you know, hey, actually it's something that Neil Gaiman does. Well, well actually, this is something that, you know, something like Robert Holmes did very well is you set you set you set up little mysteries within a within a story and you don't explain them and they just end up being something unexplained. And that that's what makes them great. Right. But by making it the center point of the entire series, you are on the hook to have to explain things. On the hook, yeah. Yeah, and it's a very creative season. It is creative. A lot of interesting ideas, but I don't like the ideas, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really really, really good way of putting it. Yes, it's full of a lot of ideas, but actually we don't like those ideas. So, yeah, that's great. Moving on. uh, Number four for you, I think. Moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. So I am going to go with another non-Moffat written cliffhanger, and this one I just find such a delightful pre-credit sequence and it begins in Egypt 1334 BC with the doctor being cornered up against the TARDIS by Queen Nefertiti Nephi as he as the doctor calls her and then they wind up at the Indian Space Agency and learn that a mysterious spacecraft is approaching the earth and then they zip off to the African savanna and they meet Riddell the doctor saying I found something and Riddell says oh no 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 you're not going to get me like that again and the doctor goes oh well just listen i don't even know what it is and anyways the doctor winds up materializing the tardis around rory's dad brian amy and rory and i and then just in that brief bit of character moment that we get more character development in just that brief moment of Mm -hmm. rory and amy than we get in much of much of uh moffat era storytelling and then of course I'm talking of dinosaurs on a spaceship. Right. And then we hear loud thumping, thumping, thumping noises. And they go towards an elevator and two dinosaurs rush out. The doctor says, everybody run. And Matt Smith, just his face lights up like a child in a museum where he sees dinosaurs. And he's just <laughs> just all beaming. And the, Amy goes, doctor. And the doctor goes, I know, I know. It's dinosaurs on a spaceship and, and go to credits. And it's it's just a happy, delightful, character-driven scene with likable characters, with Nefertiti, with Riddell, Brian Williams, Rory and Amy, the Matt Smith being his kind of quirky, rapid-fire, non-sequitur doctor. And then we get dinosaurs, which look really good. They're CGI. And it just, it's an interesting hook of an episode that is just 
fun. And that's something I think is so absent from the Moffat years that it's just it's character, it's fun, it has a simple premise. It's just just delightful to watch. Yes, it's, it, it, it is. The episode fails with the payoff, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. But you know that's. But I think it is beautifully done. Matt Smith is on great form as the mm-hmm. is the kind of you know the fun loving Doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we're a bit late in the game. I don't know how many years before that Snakes on a Plane right. was like um, almost a decade. Almost a decade, <laughs> but you know it's still people still mm-hmm. people still do that. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, dinosaurs in a spaceship. It's still funny. Mm-hmm. Again, I, you kind of wish that maybe Nefertiti and and Riddell can be slightly more developed as characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like this kind of concept that, that Moffat's very keen on pushing that you know the Doctor's kind of shagged his way across the universe, <laughs> um, and that like all the famous women from history really 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 fancy him a lot. I think that's slightly Mary Sue-ish of mm. Mary Sue-ish of him. Mm. But again, I guess you can't really fault him for being, you know, being like that. So <laughs> yeah, but again, good. It's a, it's who wants to, who doesn't want to watch dinosaurs on a spaceship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember thinking like, wow, I bet, I bet if they poo on the spaceship, it's going to be really smelly. But anyway, no, so, if, yeah. If this is the type of episode that Chibnall's going to write, I, I'm, I'm all for it. It's, yeah. uh, it's a, I think it's. One of his strongest episodes. Oh, it's Chibnall, episodes. isn't it? I'm it sorry. Is yeah. yeah, it's Chibnall. It's, it's not Moffat. So maybe it's also it's Chibnall who thinks that all the women in the universe want to shag him. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, well, it, it does fit within the the tenant uh, Queen Elizabeth and Moffat and Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe and right. yeah, it, it, I, it, I don't know. It. Yeah. I I thought it was fun. And looking at this episode in isolation, it's fun. Looking at it in a greater context of what they've been doing since Moffat took over as showrunner, it gets old and tired, and it's not so much fun. And I think I think for kids watching, unfortunately, by this point, my kids have given up on Doctor Who. But I think for younger kids, I think this would have been a great, you know, if I'd been a child... Which I, in some ways, still am. Um, <laughs> yes, this is yeah, it's dinosaurs. It's like people from history. This is awesome. So, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Yep. A better Silurian story than Chibnall's first outing a with the Silurians. Better Silurian than Chibnall's first outing. Exactly. 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 Um, so, for my number four, I am going with I am the Doctor, but probably not the one you were expecting. Oh. Night of the Doctor. Which, you know, it's a mini-sode. Do we mm-hmm. still call them TARDIS-sodes? I don't know what, nope, we, what this we call is, them. Uh, this is uh, the prequel. Prequel to, to Day of the Doctor. To Day of the Doctor. This this prequel kind of fell out of kind of some kind of time loop or something. You know, plop into everyone's lap. Completely unexpected. No one... Well, I didn't know it was coming. I hadn't heard any rumours about, about the return of um, the Eighth Doctor. I guess when I clicked on it to watch it, because I think it was internet only to start with, I guess right. I kind of knew what was going to happen. But to just to have Paul McGann swagger mm-hmm. on again, mm-hmm. just do a super cool James Bond-style introduction phrase, right. like, I'm the Doctor, but probably not the one you were expecting. <laughs> you, can, or you can actually hear Roger Moore say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm James da, Bond. Da, da. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably not the James Bond you expected. And it's a crashing spaceship, and like he's all dressed like he's from Big Finish, right. and all kind of like, my, my clothes, I've all been fighting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, wow. And I think we've, we've said this on previous podcasts, you know, we would watch the hell out oh, of please the make Eighth, it happen. Do- yes. the eighth <laughs> Doctor Adventures. 
watch the hell out of them. Because yes. Paul Paul McGann is amazing. Yes. He's a really, really amazing doctor. Mm-hmm. And and to have him on TV and you know, obviously we're doing cliffhangers, so we're not doing the rest of the episode, but right. you have him name check some of those big Finnish companions. Right, right, right. It's just super, super, mm-hmm. super, super great. Yeah. No, there was, it was And actually to be honest, I mean the, the cliffhanger at the end of this episode as well, right. when we see him uh, uh, regenerate. It's also fantastic mm-hmm. as well, and it's really, really good. Right. Yeah. It was a squee moment. It was. A, it was a great fan moment. Squee. Yep. It was. Just, yep. It was just a, another delightful. It made me smile. It made me happy. And it. Oh, I mean, it, it is a cliffhanger, and it just makes me want more Paul McGann as the Eighth Doctor on television. And just, just give me. One special. We're not doing a Christmas special in 2018, but oh, would it have been so great to just have one more outing with Paul McGann on television? I just just would love it. Yeah, and even I mean, it could even be like a two doctors thing or a three. I'm not right. three. It could be you know two. just have him on as a doctor mm-hmm. with a with another doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, just just have him back again because mm-hmm. he's really good. Yes. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Great cliffhanger. Yeah. So my final cliffhanger, I am going to go with the end of Heaven Sent. Ah, good one. So, I wasn't. I thought about doing that, but I didn't. Okay. So the Doctor has finally punched through the wall of a what is it? I think a, a Zam, a Zambantium crystal or something weird, some kind of crystal wall, and. The veil is about to touch him again and set this whole dying cycle off again. But instead, he punches through, the veil collapses into uh, the shroud and the heap of cogs, and he walks through this portal, and we're in the orange skies. So we know we're on Gallifrey. The yeah. portal closes up behind him, and the, with the confession dial drops down, and we see the little castle surrounded by water, and it closes up. The doctor kind of places his palm over it, and then he looks around. And then a young boy runs up, and this is this is this is almost mythology here. This is this is like kind of a mythical moment where a young boy runs up, and the doctor says, "You know, go to the city, find someone important, tell him I'm back, and if they ask who I am, tell him I took the long way around." <laughs> and then the boy runs off, and the doctor puts on his shades. It's a very Capaldi Doctor moment. It's a very another very kind of James Bond's kind of swagger moment. Yeah, it's it, like it the is. Hero just like. I'm cool. I've spent right. like six billion years hacking my way through a rock, and here I am. And I'm pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of like in the, I'm yeah. mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Right. But the whole the whole hybrid thing isn't good, in my opinion. But the, he goes to you know something yeah. like the hybrid isn't Dalek. He, Daleks wouldn't have hybrids. The the hybrid come to destroy Gallifrey. It's me, and I'm back, and I'm bad, and I'm bad, and it's all good. I'm good, and it's a real tonal shift from the beginning of Heaven Sent and this right. the, just the whole direction of Rachel Talalay um, throughout that, and it's it's very it's very almost a solo Capaldi effort. But it changes immediately because we have the small child. And instead of the shadows and the darkness of inside this castle, we have, we're out, out in the desert wilderness of Gallifrey. We see, we see the citadel. We see the orange skies. And a young boy runs up. And it's, it builds up the expectation for that series finale in a way that I think Moffat does with most of his finales when they're, multi-part stories is it, it really gets you that cliffhanger and you're really hoping for this massive payoff in that final final season episode 
So it does its job really well or did its jobs really well for me as a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yes, it does. It's, it's, and the fact that, you know, the, the payoffs unfortunately don't really arrive. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of okay because it is a, it is a super cool cliffhanger and it plays mm-hmm. to, you know, to all of, all of Peter Capaldi's strengths. Cause he is, you know, it's a cool guy. He's a cool looking guy. Um, and he's done a super cool thing mm-hmm. through the whole episode. And now he's, uh, as he's out of it and it's, it's great. Yeah. It's a really good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I agree. I agree. Um, Your final cliffhanger. So my final one. I'm. I'm also going to go with a Capaldi moment because he deserves, I think, more moment, moments than we've given him in this in this in this Moffat hanger <laughs> extravaganza. And it it is the end of Oxygen. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's great. Another sunglass moment. Another <laughs> another sunglass <laughs> moment. And the Doctor's blind. Yes. At this point, you kind of. Again, you know, let's let's give let's give Moffat, you know, well, well, he isn't the writer, but you know, he's the showrunner. This is written by Jamie Matheson, right. Charles Palmer. I see again one of our favorite yes, new, new directors, mm-hmm. of course. But you know, obviously, this plays into the arc of that season. Right. Uh, Oxygen is, I think, pretty much my top-ish episode of this season. Um, the Doctor being blind doesn't really pay off in the end. No. But at this point, you kind of realize that this is, you know, Moffat is coming to the end of his tenure as a showrunner. And right. yeah, maybe the Doctor really is blind. Right. So what is going to happen? Because mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, you, it's kind of bets are off time. Right. And, you know, it's, it's been a harrowing episode. We've had a companion die, almost die, come back again. And then now we have, you know, our main character is... Um, blind. Seriously, <laughs> seriously injured. Right. Seriously injured without a... Good, without apparently a good way to make that injury uh, good again. Right, right. It's a great closing line. I think it's something like, you know, Nardle's giving him crap. And the doctor (laughs) doctor looks at him and says, no, I really, really can't see. I don't think I can look at anything ever, ever again. I'm still blind. And then we go right into credits. And it it, it drives the point home that there was consequences, temporary as they may be, but there was consequences in the actions that the doctor took, the the sacrifice that he made to give Bill his helmet so she would survive in, in the vacuum of space. So it... It is a cliffhanger for a one episode story and it leads into the leads into, the yeah. other other the monkey trilogy but yeah, yeah it, it's a very very gripping cliffhanger. Yeah and I think one of the things that kind of gripped me about it is that the doctor is blind not for kind of magic reasons you know right. he's not being like attacked by you know some tar and fragmentation grenade or something right. he's blind because of the physics of being exposed to a raw vacuum. Right. That's why he's blind. Right, right. Um, and, and so, you, again, one thinks, well, if he's not being blinded through magic, then obviously magic isn't going to make him be able to see again. Right. Um, of course, that's what mag- that's what does happen. But, you know, I mean, right. you, it's it's like, wow, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, he's at, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a, you know, he's a some kind of organic mammal-like creature. Mm-hmm. He's been in a hard vacuum. You know, his blood vessels and his eyes have exploded or whatever, and he can't see. It would have been interesting. It probably would have been too much to ask to Capaldi to play blind for the rest of the series. But could you imagine what the the finale would be with the Doctor not being able to see, and then yeah. the the cliffhanger that we kind of left on the on the table on the table, the which is of course world enough Bill. in time. Bill, yep. Cyber Bill, being saying, "I waited, yeah, I waited," and just not being able to see 
throughout that until his regeneration basically kicked in and he became Jodie Whittaker doctor. Or alternatively, um, I mean, this is another cliffhanger left on the table, which is, you know, Bill being shot in the in the kind of pre-credits for mm, that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, or alternatively, you know, getting, uh, as you said, you know, not knowing like real Bill and like Cyber Bill and not being able to tell because she can't see, you know, right. maybe Cyber Bill could have had the same basis, same, same voices, like not... It's just like kind of regular Bill, right. same voice. Um, the Doctor could have got cyber cybernetic eyes. Um, mm. You know, the Doctor could have been cyberized in some way. Mm. I'm sure there's this alternate universe where Moffat made that work. Mm. And I'm sure he was sitting down at some point when he was writing that series 10 and um and trying to trying to trying to have that happen in that final episode but actually saying well you know I can't I can't keep the right. blind, I can't keep the our main character blind for like another right. five or six episodes he could have put oxygen later I think he worked really well yeah. the blind doctor in extremis yeah yeah so it I, I mean it's, it's, it's ironic doable. because I mean because <laughs> I mean the, that that monkey the monkey trilogy is is you know it's the weakest part of that season in my mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. humble opinion mm-hmm. but anyway yeah. yeah so yeah that's my final cliffhanger yeah yeah good well this was more fun than I thought it was going to be <laughs> As usual, it it it, uh, it helps to cherry pick the best parts, the parts that you liked from an era. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. Yes, I think it does. Absolutely. So next time we're oh, going next time, to yes. yeah we're going to continue on with our reexamination or our examination of Big Finish Paul McGann story. So the next one up would be Stones of Venice, and you can download that from the Big Finish website. I think it's probably uh, two ninety nine um, pounds or dollars, depending on which side of the Atlantic you are and be great if everyone would listen and we wouldn't spoil it for you but <laughs> absolutely so that is our plan for next time we reconvene and other because than that because spoil, spoiler alert I've just been to Venice ah so I'll be able to say how realistic it is mm-hmm. in its depiction of an audio Venice. Uh, yeah. We'll probably have to we'll have to use your location sound recordings as backdrop for our entire it's, episode. Which is basically like the splashing of water and the shouting of Italians. <laughs> That's all it is, basically. It'll work. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, classic. No, that, um, that'll be a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. I, I, I recommend it. Yeah. All right. It, so something to look forward to. Excellent. Great. Well, well um, so yes, so if you if you have been, um, thanks for listening. Yep. I've been talking with Ben. And I've been talking with David. And have a good evening. Have a very good evening. Good night.
Well, that's good. We did it. Excellent. <laughs> we did it. We're well done us.